Hey, everybody. Welcome to uh, this is probably going to be a bonus BS episode with uh, Phil Vecchione, who is, if you aren't familiar with Phil, who needs no introduction on gaming and BS by any means, because he's been on our show, I think, at least once, if not twice. He's uh, the co-host of Misdirected Mark podcast, as well as Pandas Talking Games. Check out those two. We'll put links in the show notes. And as well as working at Encoded Designs, one of the principals at Encoded Designs, the publishing house that even helped Brett put out Streets of Avalon and uh, a variety of other gaming credentials, um, never unprepared and and uh, masks and a few others. And so welcome back, Phil. It's been a long time. It's so good to see you again. I, I hope everything is is doing doing well in your world. I'm rocking the lockdown. Coming around on uh, coming down on a full year, but thanks for having me on. It's awesome seeing you. I um I know I haven't seen you in a while because as soon as I saw you, I was like, oh man, check like the hair is. Oh my God, dude, I don't like it I, at all. <laughs> <laughs> I did that in grad school. I was so poor in grad school that I just didn't cut my hair for a year, and I like had I had it like it was so tragically nineties. I had like two ponytails. I had like the top in one ponytail and like the back in one ponytail. And then and then I doubled down and went. When I finally got a haircut, I went for a full mullet nice. and just kept like the back ponytail for like, I don't know, seven or eight years. It was, it was, it was pretty bad. I cut it off for a job interview, um, which was totally worth it. One for getting rid of it. And two, cause I, I did get the job. So I have taken an interest in forbidden lands as some of our listeners know. And I put it out on Twitter and said, Hey, <clears throat> looking to run this thing. And I could use some advice. Cause when I got it, I started pouring through it and thought, well, this is this is a little more dense than I might have anticipated. Even though I got like the big grandiose box, I got like the GM screen, the cards, the dice. Like, oh everything. yeah, yeah. And then I got it, and I opened up the books and went, okay, there's there's quite a bit here. Um, hmm. Okay. Well, that's all right. I probably should have looked into this before dropping, <laughs> you know, hundred plus bones. But so Phil goes, yeah, man. I you know, I'm running it. What are you? How so? How many sessions are you into? So next Sunday, because I play bi-weekly, next Sunday will be my 40th session. How many How many over how much period of time? Uh, what did we start? We started in summer of 19. Oh, yeah, okay. summer of 19. How often are you playing? Are you running? Every two weeks. Okay. That's that. I should have probably could have done the math. So <laughs> when you meet Phil, how, how long are your sessions? So in person before the Rona, um, in person, we were playing like three and a half, three and a half hours ish online. I got it down to like, it's somewhere between three, two and a half to three zooms, just a little like zoom gaming is just, I don't know, a little, a little bit slower, a little bit, uh, more draining than mm -hmm. I play in person. Yeah. So I brought Phil on here because one, I know Phil and, uh, I said, "Hey, man, I'm looking for tips. Uh, would you be interested? Mm -hmm. I, I, you know, when can we talk?" And I said, "Hey, I stream Saturdays if you're interested." And he said, "Yeah, sure, Saturday will work." So, thanks for accommodating, Phil. And um, yeah, no problem. So we're going to be talking about forgotten land, forbidden lands, forbidden, and, forbidden, yeah, forbidden lands specifically. Like what Phil's doing, so Sean could take that and take it back to his group and help him run a better game. So, uh, so. You started about 2019. When did you yep. when did you get it, and how long did it take for you to kick it off? Uh, I had it for a little while. I, I I like wound up buying it um, just because I liked the um, 
I like the pitch for it, right? Like just, you know, what is it? Rogues and raiders in a cursed world. And, you know, the whole idea of, um, you know, uh, just like a hex, like almost like a hex. I mean, it's a hex crawl of uh, of gaming, right? So I was like, cool, I, I'll dig it. And I think I just had to wait until there was a opening in my game group between games. And then um, everybody was like, yeah, yeah, let's give it a try. And I figured I was just going to run it. Like, I honestly thought I was going to just run it for like six, seven sessions or something and be done with it. But it, like, it took on a life of its own. And now like my, my players are just like, no, no, keep it going, man. Like, just like, don't like, just we're, we're fine. We're good. Like I periodically check in. I'm like, you guys sure you still want to play this? They're like, no, no, we're good. Let's keep going. Oh. Yeah. Going on two years. Yeah. That's fantastic. So what led you to look into Forbidden Lands? So I really liked um, I really liked that the game emphasizes travel. So I play, you know, I, I play. I mean, I play a bunch of different games, but I play a lot of indie games, and you know, travel is often a thing you just like hand wave, right? You're just like, well, you leave town a few days later, you arrive in new town, right? Like that's it. Or hey, you finish dungeon, time to go home. You travel, um, you travel, and you travel some more. Right, 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 and that's <laughs> it, right? Like, not like. And what I thought was cool about the game is the game mechanizes travel. And it's not just like, and it's not mechanized like other fantasy games where it's like, oh, there might be a random encounter plus, you know, you can, your horse moves this much per day kind of thing. Like there are actually like things you do, like there's a whole subsystem for traveling, uh, which at first, I mean, you got to be into that, right? Like you just got to buy into that premise. Like part of this game is that you, you travel, um, and so that was the thing I was really curious about because I mean, I've, you know, I've played tons of fantasy games, like killing monsters, casting spells, like I've done, you know, I've done that pretty much everywhere, but I hadn't played too many games that really settled in and was like travel is an actual part of this game. Yeah. So that's, that, that was the thing I really wanted to see when I, when I, when I took it out to play it. Yeah. I was, um, it, it's not wholly dissimilar for me when I read the premise of the game, I thought, you know, it's, it pitches itself old school and hex crawl, and it makes no qualms about what what that is, and in putting it in the game as a for, forefront to the game. I thought, okay, and I, I've been telling people, you can get Swords and Wizardry, you can get Labyrinth Lord, you can get you know first edition, second edition, OSCE, you know all that stuff, and there are folks that are running great hex crawls. Oh yeah, but this is okay. It's part of the game, and this is. Which was, I thought, I'm like, huh, I wonder what their take is. And I think that's what drew me into exploring it a little bit. So, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I like, so what I like about it is that, like, it very much wants, like, it very much wants to be um, like a retro. I mean, I think they, they brand themselves as a retro RPG, right? So I don't think they call themselves, they, they don't call themselves old school. So it's very much a, like a retro feeling RPG. Uh, you know, the interior artwork is black and light, black and white line art. And I think it was done by, um, I don't think we'll recognize it, but in Sweden, it was like kind of like their Errol Otis, right? Like they're like did all the black and like all the black and white line art. Um, but it's got some pretty actually um, like more modern mechanics that I, that I really like, like their way of dealing with um, food, water, arrows, torches, things like that. They use a resource die, kind of like the black hack. And I think a bunch of other games do it where, you know, you have a die, like you have D eight water, you know, and then at the end of the day, you roll your D eight. And if you get a one, you switch the die from a D eight to a D six, right. And until you run out. 
Um, so it's got all of that in it, but yet still feels pretty like it still feels like I'm playing uh, a game from the 80s. And it has a few good nods like the map has like the map is not predefined. Like it has stuff on it, but it's just it's got like pictures of villages and castles and they don't correspond to anything in the game. You have to decide like, oh, I'm going to put this village here on the map. And that reminds me of like when I was a kid, like getting old school Boot Hill and old school Gamma World, where they gave you like the big blank hex map and you had to, you know, you had to fill in those things yourself in pencil. Loved it. So going into the map, I mean, we'll be all over the place, but going sure, sure. since we brought up the map, you were, it does have a few icons. It has obviously the terrain. Um, and maybe we should start out even for viewers, like what? is the premise of Forbidden Lands. So, and I could start by just saying at a hundred foot view um, in like a couple of sentences, there was the blood mist that had been around for 300 years yep. and it's lifted. And yes, yeah, so the, the blood mist kept you from traveling too far from your home. Like if the sun went down and you were not home, the blood mist would just kill you. With the rare exception of a few people like the uh, Rust Brothers can move through it or whatever. But in the, for the most part, if you are caught out um, in the blood mist, you died. So for 300 years, villages never expanded. They didn't trade with one another. They were all isolated, right? They're just like little islands scattered all over this place called Ravenland. And then five years before the game begins, the blood mist disappears. And so now you have this period of time where where people are um, trying to find, like they're trying to explore, connect to other villages, um, finding the ruins of whatever happened 300 years ago, that kind of thing. Um, and, and travel is like, traveling is new for everybody. Like it's only five years old. That's, that's like the, the, that's like the main, like that's the hook of the game right there. Now, when you, so going back to the map, cause I didn't want to lose sight of that. Yeah. Yep. Because the map's got a few things, but it's up to the game master to put things in whatever hex that they want, however they want. And with your with your game specifically, Phil, how are you handling that? Are you taking images that are on the map and actually keeping those there? Or are you saying, oh, you know, it says it's on your map, but you get there and there's nothing there. Weird. Or it's a ruin. Or have you, I guess that's, are you running? I'll let you answer that. <laughs> you know, so I so I've been pretty faithful to the map, right? So I, like, if it's on the map, I've been just like when the players get there, there there's a village. Um, what is um, what is not a faithful uh, narrator are the legends. So there are these. Um, so for all the item, like for all the locations of the game, and they're they're called adventuring sites. Um, for all the adventuring sites, they come with a legend that the players have either heard of, or, you know, if you want to have them make a skill roll, they suddenly remember the legend about this place. Those are semi-unreliable narrators. Like, there's some truth to those things, but also these are people who haven't been out of their house, like, essentially for 300 years. So they don't often understand um, the full history of things, or they misunderstand how, you know, um, they understand what, what they see, but not how it got there, that kind of thing. So, no, if it if there's a village on the map, when you get there, there's a village. You just may not, from the legend, you may think that something's going on that's not. Are you running homebrew? Uh, no, I'm actually running 
Um, I'm actually running the whole thing from published material. So I, I'm using the, the GM's book in the box set has three adventure sites. Uh, one of them is this town called The Hollows. And that was like the focal point of the game. And then uh, I played that for a while, like just those three adventure sites. And then we expanded into, um, I've got it next to me, the um, Raven's Purge, the campaign book, which is also fully sandboxed. So it gives you like 15 NPCs, a bunch of artifacts and a bunch of locations. And then tells you like, you should figure out how all these connect to each other. Like here's some suggestions, but do with them as you please. <laughs> I have Raven's Purge. I thought I was going to run more homebrew, but the more I think about it, I might implement it, pieces. It's of a it. pretty good. Yeah. I mean, Raven the Raven's Purge is a full arc. Like you could if if you could play it, start it, finish it. Um like it has a beginning, middle and end to it. Um that you, that you could do. It, I mean, I don't think it'll be quick. No. Like my group is like I think there's five artifacts, my group has one of them. But they didn't start it for like a year. Right. Like for a year, they just they were doing a whole bunch of other stuff. So when you kick this off, kind mm -hmm. of session zero, we'll start with session. Phil's got Forbidden Lands. Thinking about running this lands. thing. You guys up for it? Yeah. OK. Sounds good. Mm -hmm. You pitch it. They're in. You set yep. up session zero, I would imagine. Yep. What did you cover in session zero and what did you cover? And then what did you learn in the game that you would implement back into session zero if you were to redo it? I'm going to look because I think I've got my game notes right here. I do. I have my session zero notes. Fantastic. Yeah, um, so resourceful, but, that guy. Yeah. So my session zero is actually, <laughs> I'm looking at it. Like the session zero is actually pretty light. I think um, I think we we blended session zero with character creation. Mm -hmm. So we, we went through the pitch. Everybody was in. Um, I think the, the main things I talked about were like, look, these characters are not super resilient. Like how cool is everybody about just like if your character dies? Right, because even one of the things they give you in the game, and I haven't had to use them, my characters have been on Death's Door, but nobody's been dead yet, is um, they give you little gravestone markers, stickers, <laughs> that you can just put on the map, like when someone dies, you just like, he died right here in this hex. Um, so I, I definitely went over that with everybody. I was like, look, how cool are we on, like, how cool are we on character death? And then the other thing, uh, because the game in, in I, you know, and I don't think this is um, unique to this game, but it doesn't prescribe a thing that you need to do. Like indie games are like really narrow, right? Like when you play like, you know, when you play other indie games, it's like, look, you are, you know, you are a, you know, Mexican drug cartel. Like there's no other options. But like for this game, it's like, all right, well, what do you guys want to do? Like what's, what are you guys out here for? What are we doing in this game? So, um, we, you know, we picked that early on that they were, they, you know, they were going to be kind of um, generic adventurers, right? And pick up jobs. They wanted to be able to pick up jobs in the beginning and, um, you know, and then, uh, you know, work from town to town. So the thing I would say is, like, I would make sure you know what the group's purpose is because you're going to have plenty of things to find. You're going to have adventures while you're traveling. But, like, why are they traveling? Um like, why are they traveling and what are they what are they doing? What's their purpose in the world? Are they going to, you know, are they going to try to vanquish demons? Are they just going to try to get a stronghold and, you know, live comfortably? That kind of thing. Is there anything else that you covered in session zero? That sounds good. Uh, that sounds like a good one for sure. Yeah, no, I mean, like, you you know, I mean, I, you know, there are some basic things I always do in game, you know, for se session zero. So I always cover safety and sure. um, those kinds of things. But specific to the game. 
um, really, I think it was nailing down, like, what do you, who are you guys? Like, what, you know, how do I, like, how do I know what to put out in front of you to make this interesting? Did you start them in the hollows or did you start them? Because part of the book, it says, put them in a hex. I did. I dropped them. I dropped them in a hex. Um, I dropped them in a hex between the hollows and another and another town. And I told them that they were like on their way to the hollows. And I, you know, like they were cool with that. And I dropped them in a hex where they found a um, caravan that had been uh, attacked and waylaid. Like everybody would like there were people killed. There were people missing. And there was just some weird symbol um, on one of the wagons. And that's where, like, that's where they started. And they wound up finding, um, how did I, oh, I kicked it off. They wound up finding this um, chest with these um, uh, pewter steins in them, which led them to the hollows and they find the brewery uh, in the hollows. And that was like, I didn't, that for me was like a throwaway piece, but that brewery in the hollows became like a huge part of my campaign. Like, (laughs) Did not think like you never know what's going to stick. This was a thing I was like, oh, so we're just going to do like this brewery is like now this brewery and the characters in it are now just a focal point of this game. Fine. Like, that's cool. <laughs> so I've got a feeling that's going to happen every once in a while in a Forbidden Lands game where you're like, OK, uh, sure, we'll throw that in there. Well, yeah, they they wound up like they wound up like grabbing onto it, and they just like for a like for a for a chunk of the campaign in the beginning, they were just like they were escorting beer to other towns. Like they that's they needed money because they were like dirt poor. So they were like, the guy was like, "I'll give you money if you'll you know because traveling's dangerous." He's like, "I'll give you money if you can get my you know my casks of beer." down river or you know back to the town you came from and they were like we'll do it like we need money so they did for a while they were like you know they were swords for hire like hauling beer and they loved it i was like okay i'm like you know this isn't like like this isn't our normal like you know you're you know lord so-and-so vanquishing you know these great evils or whatever you're like a bunch of dudes hauling beer across the country but they were so into it i was like all right, like this is the this is the scope of the game we're playing right now. I can't think of a more admirable task. Yeah, right. Than escorting beer from town to town. It's a very noble job. Indeed. So what is the party makeup, Phil? Yeah, so I I started with three I started with three players and um I had a druid. I had um oh, I got a you, after like a year and a half, I don't even, oh, I've got them right here. Perfect. It's in my session zero. I've got, um, I've got a druid, elven druid. I've got a goblin hunter, a dwarven fighter. And then a couple, like about six months or so into the game, we added a uh, half elven thief, rogue thief. I forget what their, what their catchy name for it is, but thief. One of my concerns, cause they have, orcs and goblins yep. are playable and then the wolfkin which are all kind yep. of yeah did you have any reservation about okay this person wants to play goblin this one wants to play orc they're not i mean it's easy to put all the humans in a bucket and then go sure here you guys are a group and you're cohesive just make up some reasons but when you start implementing those is there was there a specific way that you tied them in or the player tied them into the group I, so I, I, this is a philosophy I take from, um, uh, trying to think where I, where I, which, which podcast I got the fear the boot, right. I was like, look, you all get along. 
like I, you know, I like the group you, you template. Can, yeah, yeah. You can you can snipe at each other, but like you can snipe each other, make fun of each other, but you all get along like that. Like I'm just not, I'm not sitting here dealing with. Um, <laughs> I, I've known these guys long enough, right? I'm just like I'm not into playing like you guys arguing in real life. So figure it out how you want to do it. And, and uh, yeah, they were, I mean, they're great. So they were like, yeah, cool. That's no problem. Like we, you know, we all get that we're, we're a group traveling together. And I, I you know, I made them come up with, um, come up with some reasons why. So we did, we worked that out in session zero. I just, that's, that's the thing. I don't, um, unless the game is about that, I got no interest. Like I just quash that as fast as possible. Yeah. Now they're, they have pride is a yeah. kind of tie together. And then they also have a dark secret. Yep. How much have you leaned on those two components of the players to drive kind of the campaign or the story? Uh, let's see. I'm looking at their, their dark secrets. Let me peek. Uh, for sure. One of them was a big part of the, of like, like it was part of a story arc. Um, there's a the thief has a dark secret about just taking everything like like steals whatever so that has uh come up as like a subplot and things where the thief has like taken something and there's been repercussions for it um the dark secret one comes up every now and then it um it gets a it gets a player an experience point so it's cool for them if it comes up uh the pride one actually has a mechanical purpose so, um, and that's come up a couple times and there, are, I think at least two characters who lost their pride because they failed a role while you like, so if you, when you use your pride, you get a, you get a success. Um, I think it's a success, but whatever, if you are not successful in the action you're taking, when you use your pride, you lose it. Like you have like a, like a little crisis of confidence and then you have to go a session without a pride and then you can pick a new one. So that has happened before. Had characters who've had to like change their pride because uh, it didn't pan out for them. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Um, the dark secret one, you could lean into it heavily. Like we got to a point where they kind of um, like some of them outstripped theirs, uh, but like one of them, one of my players, and this one's come out, so I, I don't have a problem mentioning it. But one of my players killed a Rust brother, and um, that becomes a problem a lot <laughs> because the Rust brothers have kind of figured out who they are because it's a elf, a dwarf, and a goblin. So it's not hard to put out word. Like if an elf and a dwarf and a goblin show up together in a town, like we want these guys. An elf, a dwarf, and a goblin walk into a bar. Right. <laughs> Arrest them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so who are the Rust brothers for those that don't know? They are um, they are the religious followers. So this game's got some like really messy religions. Like got some lore. It's got, a, it's got first of all, it's got a ton of lore. It's got more lore than the players are going to know, and scarily more lore than a GM's going to remember. That's so, my biggest fear. Like what? What's this tied to? And then you're like, yeah. You know. Oh yeah. I, I'm multiple times I've had to like like. Like open up the book and be like, oh, yeah, and that's what the like the legends help with is like if you put those legends out, it kind of ties things together. But you still have to, um, uh, you still have to know a bunch of that lore. But also, I like didn't lean on that heavily in the beginning of the game, so we kind of like eased into it, so it became a little easier. But I I have on multiple occasions reread sections of it, and yeah, the gods are messy because the gods are. Um, 
half the gods are just different interpretations. Like one group was like, no, no, this thing was more important. Therefore, there are these gods. And the other the other group is like, no, no, you misunderstand. It's this way. Thus, these gods. So the Rust Brothers um, are the followers of the God of Rust. It's their cleric. And they are they are quote, they are generic fantasy bad guys. Like they are, you know, they've got a, they've got some knights, the Iron Guard, I think they're called. And there's the Rust Brothers, and they're just generally bad. Um, but they are like the only, um, like they're the only religion that like actually spreads out from anywhere. Like everything else is in pockets and kind of scattered. But the Rust Brothers like show up in places. So, in, in my game, the appearance of the Rust Brothers is never a good, you know, is never a good moment. And the players are now facing that because they're. Um, the place they are on the map, their stronghold is on the opposite side of, um, there's a town on the opposite side of the lake and the Rust Brothers have invaded that town. So there's getting to be this point where the Rust Brothers are getting closer to their stronghold and they're now like, think we're going to have to go deal with these guys. Fantastic. I want to go to the chat quick and I don't know if I might've skipped anybody that put in there. I know um, somebody asked about the virtual tabletop, which I was going to get back to you. Like, yep. wait, how are you running it? Uh, sounds like roll 20. So roll, so roll 20 has got a full um, roll. 20 has got a full module for this so that um, it's got character sheets with that will build the dice pools and roll them, uh, which is, it takes a little getting used to, um, how to how to how to make the dice pools in the character sheet, but like my players like use it exclusively, and it like rolls all the correct dice and shows you the results. It lets you push rolls and things like that. I did. I, I just imported the map, and I think they have an image on their website. Like I imported the map uh, directly into the website, and uh, one of the things you have to do in the game is when you're traveling. If you've been through a hex before, you don't have to make what's called the Pathfinder roll. So on my home map, the there are just uh, pen marks, like little X's in the bottom of each hex as they went through it. On the um, virtual tabletop, I've had to put um, little symbols into it so that we know, like, you know, when we're playing, like, oh, this hex, you guys have been through it. You don't have to make this roll. Keep going. So, yeah, no, they, I have one... I you know I have um, I have one tabletop of the the big map, and then I often take the maps from the book, those isometric drawings, and then I will throw them in, um, put over the fog of war, and just reveal it in you know chunks as we play through it. That seems to uh, what's called that's that that's been working really well. Plus the other thing that's really cool is then if you do handouts, I just copy the legend text and stuff those in the handouts. And now the players have like a library of those legends. Cause now after like a year and a half, they have a ton of legends and occasionally they don't remember them all. So they very conveniently are just like, Oh yeah, yeah. Open up the, you know, like click, they open up the legend or I'll just open it up and put it on the screen for them and, you know, jog their memories. So it works great on, uh, it works great. I will say there was one thing missing that I had to uh, put together myself and uh, free league was very nice. The game uses um, cards for initiative, yes. and they were not originally. I, I don't think they're in the game. I wound up making them myself from the images of the um, of the cards. So I have an initiative deck that, uh, when we're playing, I can shuffle and deal out to the players, and then they can rearrange, like trade cards with each other to set the initiative, and then you know we we go from there. And then I can, I'll 
I use the turn order tool once everybody know everybody's initiative to put them in turn order and then just, you know, go through the turn order um, uh, feature. Do you use fog of war on the large hex map? Or do you give them the have, whole map and they can see the whole thing? And I gave them the whole map because that's how, like, when we started playing, they 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 always had that. Like we, you know, when we played at home, they just had that map out on the table. Um, I'm going to use Foundry Phil. Oh, I haven't tried Foundry yet. I will. Um, let me know if you're ever interested. I'm going to start. I mean, I've been saying this for a little bit, but I want to start showing people it so that they can say, "Oh, it's you know great," because they don't. It's a $50 upfront investment, and then it depends on how you want to host it. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I'm definitely curious about that. I I mean, I was never one for online playing. I was fortunate enough to always have a home group. Sure. But, that you know, in the in the days of the lockdown, um, all my gaming is now done online. So um, I'm always interested. Like, I like Roll20. Roll20 is great, and I've had it since some Kickstarter I backed like 100 years ago. Hero Forge um, or whatever the... Yes, the one that they wound up buying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I got defaulted into a an account on it. So, which was good because, like, when lockdown happened, like, I was immediately like, "Uh, you guys want to keep playing, right? Like, you want to use Roll Twenty?" And you know, we like I think within the course of a week, I had flipped all my games over to it. The optional, the optional combat piece, like where you pick two cards secretly and then you compare Mm -hmm. them and flip them. I have not used that mechanic yet. It's in Foundry. They have a module that allows you to do that. And what happens is it you you launch it and it comes up, you run it runs a macro, right? So it goes, pick the player okay. of the game that you're gonna do this with. And as long as the player's in there, you pick that from the drop down and it pops up a screen on their end with the cards. Oh, nice. And they can select. Yeah. Yeah, we've never so in a year and a half, I have not used that combat system. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I've just used the generic combat system of, you know, just making, you know, everybody just making normal rolls and stuff like that. I, I should at some point consider um and consider dragging it out, but now I would have to look at how I'd implement it in uh roll twenty. For those of you not in the know, there's an it's an optional rule where I think it's eight cards or seven cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh and what happens is if uh a player decides to do a particular task, usually combat based, I think um, you can opt to use this alternate version, which is more of a one-on-one basis with the GM and the player. So it's yeah. not anybody else. And then the, the eight cards come up, typically you'd have them in your hand and you'd set them down the two cards that you choose. So you choose two, it could be parry and faint or something along those lines. I forgot which all, all of them are entitled, but they have mechanical values to them. And then the game master selects them. And in Foundry, I mean, in face-to-face, you have your, your hand, the player has their hand, they, they take the two cards, put it down, and then you reveal them and you compare them to each other and in kind of a sequence, right? So one-to-one and then one-to-the-other. And in found, which in a virtual tabletop can be kind of tricky to pull off. And in Foundry, it does it by pulling it up on the player side. The player picks two and then hits ready or done and then the gm does it and as long as both of them are done then they are revealed to both they kind of flip over yeah and uh then you kind of narrate it out so yeah yeah it's interesting because it's one-on-one that's been like one of the like most of my fights have not been one-on-one so i've just been like you know um you know like let's do this you know like just use the generic system which works just fine um 
And yeah, now, you know, now that we're online, like, I don't think those cards are in Roll20 yet. I, I could make them, right? Like, I, if I took the images, I could I could put them together and, and do it. But it reminds me a lot of um, the combat. It reminds me a bit of the combat system from uh, Burning Wheel. I was going to say, yeah, Burning Wheel. Yeah, Burning Wheel's got something similar to that, which always frustrated me anyway, because Burning Wheel works great if you're fighting one-on-one, and then when you're not, you're... Uh, it doesn't like it, like it, then it's just a mess anyway. Is it the Duel of Wits? Uh, no, there's two of them, right? Duel Duel of Wits is one of them, and then there is a there is a combat system that is just like Duel of Wits, which is like its own um, what you call it, like it's its own system, like it's its own mini system in the middle of that game. Sure. That's why that game's that why that's why that game's always been a pain for me to learn. Like, it's like five, it's five like un, it's five discongruent mini systems wrapped in a in a full game. I, I did want to. I saw a question go by way early on. Somebody had asked about um, the dice. Yes. So I want. I, I, I'll mention the dice. Like, do you need the dice that they sell? The answer is you don't. Um, but you need three different color dice, and I highly recommend uh, because because I had players do this early on. Uh, in fact, I did it early on too because I didn't even have dice early on. Um, get dice. Six, they're all sixes, but get them in the same colors that they are in the book, which is red, white, and black. Um, if you wind up doing like blue, green, and yellow, you're going to be constantly like, um, which ones are my skill dice? Which ones are my equipment dice? Which ones are my base dice? And it's important because um, it's imp- it's important because in the game, successes are sixes. That's easy. All the dice have sixes on them, and in fact, they just put these like two little swords to make it, you know, kitschy. The important part is that two of the three sets of dice do damage when you roll once. The third one does not. Like, skill dice do not hurt you, but base dice, which are your stats, and equipment dice, when you roll ones, um, they hurt you only if you push. And then it's important because you need to know how many points of damage you took to your stats, but you also need to know how how many points of damage you took to your equipment because you can actually break your equipment in this game. So um, that's like a whole, that's, that's a whole thing in this game is like, you can, if you push yourself too hard, you can hurt yourself, um, like actually do damage. And you do not have a lot of, um, you do not have a lot of hit points in this game. Um, And you can break your gear. Like I had a player who had um, our Druid has a spear and has had like 10 spears. Like they've broken their spear so many times that eventually, um, the the dwarf just made her an iron spear it was like i have to make you something that's going to last a whole adventure i'm like sick of trying to re- like he's out in the woods like trying to carve her a new spear like ev- like between every fight so <laughs> now with um oh and i was going to say something about the the dice and now it just escaped me um shoot oh i'll say one more thing about him they sell them in like they sell a pack of them. I will be honest, you need two packs. Mm. Like you really like one pack is almost enough dice, but two packs makes it a lot easier. When you get to the monsters, like the monsters have like like much higher dice pools, um, and you wind up digging into them a bit more. So I have like two sets of them. They're um, they're from Q Dice. They're not the most. They're not the cheapest thing, um, but I didn't have them in the beginning. 
and I had different colors and it sucked. <laughs> like really, like if I had one thing to do, I would have just gone, like I would have just gone and bought generic black, white, and um black, white, and red dice, and I would have made it a hundred times easier for myself. Um you oh, I know I know what I was gonna say. So you mentioned pushing and if you so you fail, you get like once, yeah. but you also get willpower from that. Yep, which is a great little so design wise, it's an awesome little loop. Um, so willpower is this currency in the game that you use to activate higher level abilities. Use it to activate magic, and use it to activate. Um, you use it to activate your higher level talents. Usually, your first level talents um, just give you like a bonus to something, but your higher level talents often require a willpower spend. So what the game does really nicely is um, if you want willpower, you have to push rolls. Like you can't play it safe. And when you push rolls, um, you run the risk of hurting yourself or breaking your equipment. So you wind up in this like little uh, loop where um, you are, um, you are always running yourself down. Um, and, I, and I will say like, it is tough in this game, like to, um, like you can die pretty easily in this game. I we misunderstood a rule early on in the game, and then when we discovered it, we just decided we were never going to change the way we used it, which makes the game even harder. So, like when you take damage to an attribute, you're supposed to roll less dice in that attribute. Yes. Yeah, it game it gets really hard, right? Like one, if you have like a three in an attribute and you take damage, right? Like. It, your impact to those pools goes really quick. We just misunderstood that in the beginning. So, um, so marking them down, but still rolling the same amount of dice. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, you know what? This is our heroic option for this game. And we were like part, like, it's one of those things. Like we, I feel like we missed it when we read it and like started playing. And then we just got so used to it that I was like, eh, I'm not going back and fixing this. Like, is everybody cool? We'll just house rule it from this point on. This is our heroic option. And everybody was good. And we were just like, fine, let's move on. So Craig mentioned in the in the chat from Third Floor Wars, he wanted to talk. Like, I know we're we're you are specifically are big on safety. Everybody should be. Mm-hmm. Um, some are more elaborate than others, but can you go into a little bit about what you talk about safety in your game, Phil? Yeah, I mean, I I have like a I mean I have like a like a little set safety like almost quote kit, um, and it's it's pretty straightforward, right? So the things. Um, and I play with the same people um, a lot, right? So I have like a pretty solid group. So we wind up doing this pretty quickly because like we kind of know each other's, you know, um, boundaries for most stuff. So um, I always start with, um, so we start with like a content warning, right? If this game has anything in it that I think is going to be troublesome, this game doesn't really, like unless you're not really into body horror, horror and stuff, but like my group was fine with that. But I always start with a content warning if the game's going to have anything um, intense. Um, Like I said, nothing really in Forbidden Lands. Um, Then we do what's called lines and veils. So uh, things that we just don't want in the game um, and things that we don't want in detail in the game. Right. So lines and veils is a pretty standard um, feature. So, you know, like we might not want... um, you know, like no child abuse. Like we don't want to see any, you know, Russ brothers punching little kids in town um, kind of thing. So that's fine. So we just line that out, right? So we're just not going to have that in the game. I'm not going to, I'm not going to introduce it in the game. They're not going to bring it up in the game. And then we, you know, we veil out things like, um, and again, not a thing that's really come up in this game, but like a lot of, in a lot of my games, a standard veil is like sex, like, you know, 
characters, NPCs, PCs, whatever can have sex, we don't talk about it in detail. Like as soon as it happens, you just kind of and on to the next scene. All right, lines and veils. So that sets boundaries. And then the last piece, um, I am a big fan of the X card, um, which is basically a consent revoking tool. All right, so this is the idea that if something comes up in the game, um, no matter, even if we, even if it wasn't covered in lines and veils, if it comes up and you don't, you know, like you don't like it, makes you uncomfortable, feel unsafe, you just hit the X card and we take it up. And those are, that's like my foundation right there, right? Like upfront, like informing everybody what's in the game, setting some boundaries about content we want in the game and don't want in the game, and then always having a way to say no. And if my if if a game I'm playing is uh, more elaborate or um, emotionally raw than that, like I'll beef that toolkit up. But that's like my pretty standard for a pretty generic game, and I consider this one like a low danger game, right? Like it's just it's generic fantasy. Like I just need some base safety in here. Put some guard, you know, like put some railings up. I don't have to baby proof the whole house. I just need to put some railings up like on the staircases kind of thing. I <clears throat> So I am not a big fan of of playing. So Stacy, who had been at Queen City Conquest that one time, uh mm-hmm. Delaferano had mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, that she doesn't he, they do not um are not in favor of being in a game where the X card is used because Stacy had, and I'm really messing this up, but it had alluded to basically saying, if there are some of those issues in this game, then I don't want to play in that game. Like if it's even just broached. Now that's somewhat how I kind of take it me personally, but obviously I've, I've changed over time because you, I'm playing like, with more people that I don't know really well, like with Phil and some of his home group. Like if I play with Jeff and my buddies, it's probably a different conversation or we know what could possibly sure. set them off a little bit or make them uncomfortable. But so keep in mind that if you haven't implemented any type of safety, you know, things that you may think is not a big deal, like, Hey, this, I don't understand how this would tie into it. Brett, early on in our show, if you've listened to 300 episodes, Brett has played some horror. He likes horror games sometimes. Call of Cthulhu. He tries the, I wouldn't say shock value because it's not, he's not Saw. He doesn't like runs like the movie Saw games. But he does try to make things uncomfortable in horror and he wants to kind of unsettle you to some degree. And he plays with his home group. And we at early on in the show, we're talking about dead babies, right? And if you are running anybody that may have lost the child that could be a huge issue if right so yes so and this is where so this is like this is why i don't believe in any one safety tool like this is why i believe like you gotta you gotta chain these things together right so stacy's not wrong in that no. if this content's going to be in the game i don't want to play in it that's like where the content warning comes in right, right? So, like if i tell you at the outset of a game like hey i'm doing this horror game and like i got some dead babies in this game Right. It, whether I'm playing with my home group or whether I'm playing at a con, like if I say that before the, you know, we even start the game, somebody could be like, oh, dead babies, totally out. Right. And just leave the, you know, like leave the table or whatever. And and in that case, like, good. Like, 
like not not good like i want you gone but like i don't want to make anyone uncomfortable when i'm running a game so if this is a thing that you know is potentially going to make you uncomfortable absolutely please don't play in this game if everybody else is okay with it then like we proceed from there and the thing for me with the x card is it's impossible to know especially if you're playing with strangers at a con it is impossible to know what things are going to be upsetting to people so there's no way you can ever content warn enough right, right? like or you, you know you can't content warn um to everybody's level of specificity i can i can hit the obvious ones like well, hey we're gonna do this game it's a little it's serious body horror right does anyone have any body horror things like you know for me like i'll give an example and you know it'll sound light but like two like what was it two years ago i like really broke my arm right like i fell on ice and like snapped my arm into i have like I have 13 pins and like two plates in it like stuck back together um and to this day i still get kind of wigged out because i can remember um what my arms looked like when i woke up on the ground and was like it's not where it's supposed to be right like whoa i mean you know this you i mean you've been in a major accident Right. Like, you know, that like that that sick feeling you get with it. Well, there's no way anyone knows that. Like if I especially if I sit down at a table now, you can't see like I mean, I still got giant scar, you, but you don't know that. Um, so the content warning is the great place to um, to just let people know. But again, because we never can know at what everybody what you know, what is going to be upsetting to everybody, like having the X card in there is just a nice way to skirt the the point when, you know, it gets upsetting. You know, like if I was playing with you and I'll, I'll try not to make this too graphic, but like if if your character got into a car accident and then I started like diving into the description of it, you might be like, you know, hey, brother, like, can we just pull back from that? Because that that's actually happened to me and I'm super uncomfortable about it. Like, that's a great place to be like, absolutely got it. Like totally, you know, totally no problem. Like, you know, let's jump to the next scene. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just something to, to consider when you're running games for those that, especially with folks that you're not wholly familiar with, it doesn't hurt. Right. And I'll say the other thing, like when I run con games, I don't push any limits. Like when I run con games, like I am not out there to be like, I'm going to put this content right on the edge of like, you know, what, where people are comfortable. I will do that with my home group because like my home group, I know, and I can have a deeper conversation with, but like when I like run stuff at cons, like it's, pretty straightforward i will put a content warning on it but i'm fairly certain we're all going to be okay like i've actually never had the next card come up in one of my con games um because like i don't know it's not my job to like it's not my job to wig you out like i'm i'm not west craven like the not west craven the gm here like right, not my, <laughs> like, right. yeah so. uh now going back to the game whoop Thanks for the safety. That's definitely oh, yeah, no problem. Absolutely. Now, how uh, Wayne mentioned in the chat asked about because you, I think you alluded to it, but have all your player characters survived from day one all the way up till now? So they have, um, not easily, right? <laughs> like it's, I mean, multiple players have been down in the game. Having the druid has been a big help because the druid has healing. Um, and there isn't a ton of things that heal in this game, uh, but having magical healing has made um, all the difference. But it has required me, um, like, you you have to, you don't have to be careful. Um, the It's a combination. 
it doesn't take much to overwhelm players and players have to be smart enough to know when to get the hell out. Like, it, you know, like the monsters that are in the GM section of the game, some of them are not trivial. Like, I actually don't know. Like, I was reading the Raven's Purge and I was reading the end game section of it and it gives the stats for like the final creatures. And I'm looking at them like, I don't know how my players could face this. Like, I don't think they'll live like through like any of these encounters. Um, and yeah, like it's it in this in in this case, this is where I think Forbidden Lands winds up a little more on the old school side, which I like is like one, um, killing every encounter you run into is not always the best idea. Uh, there have been multiple times where the players have negotiated their way, snuck past things, run out. Like there have been a couple occasions where they've just like seen it and were like, "F no, we're out of here," <laughs> um, and that's fine. Like. Um, and one of the things like when you're traveling is there's this lookout role where you get, if you make the lookout role, I like, I, you see the encounter before it's on top of you. And there have been multiple times where the players have looked at an encounter and went, Nope, we'll just lay low in the bushes till this thing passes, which is fine. Like it's, you aren't like, you are not bulletproof in this game. Um, and yeah, like there, there has only been, um, yeah, we lost uh, Bob's character almost died from being healed because the wizard um, had a magical mishap and it said the spell uh, does the opposite of its intended effect. <laughs> oops. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> almost took Bob out. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it, yeah, I, I mean, the players all know, like if one of these guys don't make it, like they'll all be fine and we'll we'll move on from there. But so far... Um, they've been lucky, but they also are fully aware, like some of them have like, I think the, I think the elf has like a three strength, which means they have like basically three hit points, right? Yeah. Like, like, so armor, <laughs> like armor and also like stay out of melee. Like that's why the, um, that's why the druid carries the spear, like, you know, get them, like, get them before they get you uh, mentality. And the dwarf is the tip of, you know, the dwarf is in the front line. Like, he's, Bob's character has, like, six hit points. He's fully armored, helmet, shield, like, the whole, like, the whole nine yards. And he's been knocked on his ass a few times. So, yeah, it's it's different in that respect. In that respect, I think it's a little more old school where you really got to pick. Like, you got to pick your moments, like, ambush things, um, you know, run right run run is a totally valid uh move in this game yeah for those of you not in the know the you have your four core abilities and one of them strength and it's you know probably a score from two to five i think is around average if you get a talent you could get near six but if you get broken which is losing all of your so when phil was mentioning earlier you make a roll and you push it and your ones come into play and it's a strength-based test you nix those strength points off your character so one two three you know damage or one or two and you're down two dice for strength-based tests and you're you know too less too closer to death yeah so yeah and so when you when you zero out any one of those stats so call it's called breaking now you can't break on a push that's one of the rules like you you never break on a push but if you get hit one more time you instantly break um there are 
critical damage tables. So a la Roll Master. Um, and they're pretty good, right? Like um, they're pretty good. I will tell you this is a player tip. Um, all of our fighters, so Bob's our main fighter, invested in the talent that any hit he gets, he gets to roll on that table. And that helps immensely in taking down uh, taking down like NPCs and stuff like that, because it, some of those roll, like if he gets a decent enough roll on that table, like he can, he can, you know, do extra damage and take someone out pretty quickly. So, yeah. Um, but that table's great. Like uh, it, if you like, if you liked, um, if you liked roll master back in the day, um, you, you will read that table and you will know where you will know where these, where these items came from. So how much do you use the random tables in just, I mean, there's some that all, I mean, and truly roll on them, or do you pick and then use them? Or, I, yeah, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm like a purist on this thing. So, in the uh, GM's book, they give you like this table for encounters, and uh, I totally, I live by this table. So, when they're out, you know, when they're out traveling, um, and again, no hand waving for traveling, right? Like if they're going to go across the map to an adventure site, you play out the travel. Um, I roll those encounters. And then the only thing I do is I have um, uh, little post-it notes that I've marked um, if they've encountered this before. Because um, some of them are generic and I can just have it come back. Like there's like one where like you encounter a pocket of blood mist and I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's reusable. But some of the other ones, like there's one in the forest, like you come upon a wedding. Like there's two people getting married in the forest and you come upon this like giant wedding party um, and they tell you, like, the um, the bride is an orc, the groom's a human, and the um, neither family wants them to get married. And you, like, stumble into the <laughs> middle of this encounter. And um, and now those two people run the inn at our character stronghold because they, like, like, they stumbled into this thing in a hex and, like, got involved in this, like, whole family, you know, drama and broke it. Like, they diffused it before it happened and, like, the... The new the newlyweds were like, you know, they were like, hey, if you want a place where people aren't going to harass you for, you know, being an orc and a human, you could come to our stronghold. And they were like, great, well, you know, we'll see you in a few weeks. Um, and they did. So now like, but yeah, like those I mark off, like this encounter's done. Like we can't have this encounter again. Um, but I use that table and actually a year and a half into it, I kind of need more encounters. I was a little disappointed that they have not made a product that's like, more planes encounters. Mm -hmm. I'm going to actually now have to go do that work myself. So, um, so what does prep look like for you, Phil? How do you prep for this game? So it depends on which phase of the game we're in, right? So, um, so my players now have a stronghold. Um, and so there are like three phases of this game, like either they're in the stronghold and we're doing, um, some combination of like stuff that's happening in the stronghold, like people coming to visit or whatever. So there's some like role play stuff or, you know, things like that. And there's like, a, like there's a whole subsystem for resource gathering and building things. So like, you know, they're like, there's a part of the game where we have to stop and there's like a spreadsheet where they're like, okay, well, it's been seven weeks of game time, by the way, for my real hardcore players. Um, I have an actual calendar because accurate timekeeping 
in this campaign is critical. You can't you can't have a what is how is the saying? You can't, <laughs> you can't have a campaign without accurate timekeeping. I Gygax. Like. <laughs> yes. Yes. As Gygax as it gets. Um I actually have a Google spreadsheet that has the calendar in it. And so there are times where like when they're on the road, I you know just mark it like travel, 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 adventure, adventure. But when they come back to the um when they come back to their stronghold, like we'll let like weeks go by. So I'll be like, okay, a month has gone by. Uh, calculate how much um, stone your quarry has produced, how much iron, how much wood. What are you building in your, you know, in your stronghold? So that's one set of prep. Then there's they're traveling to a site, which can be its own session or more, depending on how far they go. I got like almost no prep for that because you're just, I, I totally rely on the random tables. Like we're just play through and see what happens. And then the adventure sites, um, I'm using all the ones that are published in the book, but, but the book is, the book does not make you do anything you don't want to do. So like they give you an adventure site and they give you like three things you could possibly do in it four ways the players could stumble on it so you have to do like a little assembly like you got to decide like okay which pieces of this um whole pile of stuff they gave me do i want to actually focus on which is which isn't bad at all like it's great um so yeah and and the game like like the game plays out in those phases where they're at the stronghold and then they suddenly like you know either somebody tells them or they're through some like library research they're like oh we got to go to this location and i'll highlight it on the map like well it's over here and then there's like a session to travel session or two to get there several sessions adventuring in there and then no hand waving two sessions to come home and then when they get home, it's like, well, now we're back at the stronghold. We got to like catch up on like, you know, we got to catch up on bookkeeping resources. What has happened in town in the seven, like in the four weeks you've been gone, like all of those things. So it's like three phases that um, we just play in a loop. Like my players are, uh, they just finished the stronghold phase and they're just getting ready to go back out on the road. Um, I don't know for how long, but they're going out on the road because they have to deal with the Rust Brothers across the lake now. Like they've they've reached a point where they're like, this is this is intolerable. Like we can't leave the Rust Brothers up to their own devices. They're going to wind up coming across the lake at us. Let's get them first. So, um, wait, um, who is it in the chat? Yeah, Phil or uh, Magic Mike on it. Um, mentioned how long did it take for your players to go from? from you guys starting to building their stronghold. Do you, do you remember? Yeah. So I let them, um, I, I did it the easy way, which is I, um, we used the Weatherstone, which is the second adventure site. They played through the adventure site. And then I was like, well, it's a ruined castle. They're like, we want to keep it. And I was like, okay. So I like went through and like, I told them, I was like, all right, um, here's like a few things that are actually still intact that you can use. Here's a bunch of stuff that's broken. So I gave them like, if, you know, like if you put half of the stone back into the wall, like you can have the, the wall, you know, the, the walls again on the, uh, on it. So we did that. And so like they rebuilt, um, they rebuilt Weatherstone from the ground up, um, which was fun. Um, but it's a different time scale. So like, where they travel for like a week or two and they adventure for a couple of days on site, they'll go home and like, they didn't adventure all of winter. Oh, because they were like, well, cause in winter there's only two, 
of the four quarters of the day that have sunlight. Right. So, so travels travels a lot uh, harder. So and you have to deal with cold and everything else. So they were like, you know what? Um, our next expedition will be in the spring. We'll spend the winter in Weatherstone and 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 build it up. So, again, accurate timekeeping is the. <laughs> I was I was thinking about that in my head. I'm like, man, I am gonna have to bust out a calendar of some kind and keep mm-hmm. track of this because it's not. I mean, you could in many games you start a session, end a session. Yeah. A couple of hours in the game have gone by. But eight have gone by in real time. Yep. And then you have travel and then encounter, you know, you're just going to be all over the place on how long it takes to do anything. You could. Yeah. So how, let me ask you this quick, quick, like, so have you aged the characters? How long have they aged? Uh, No, it's only been in the game. It's been, I don't even think it's been a full year yet. Oh, okay. Based on the calendar. Um, They started in, I think the summer yeah, it's almost going to be a full calendar year for the characters, um, it, but but we like I like I track that thing week to week. Like that's a um, like that is definitely a thing. Like there is a week to week tracking of of what happens. And again, some of it is the like one if they're in the if they're in their keep, then we will hand wave time, and and you know I'll just I'll ask them like how long do you guys want to stay here before you head out again. Um, yeah, nobody celebrated. I don't know if the characters have picked out their birthdays. Yeah, you <laughs> like, said anybody celebrated birthday? It's a thing that I like. I it's a thing that like normally you don't think about in a game, right? Because you never really spend a lot of time tracking. Like I, I never have in a fantasy game before kept a calendar. Like I've always, I've not been very Gygaxian about about this. <laughs> Shame about on you, this Phil. Stuff. <laughs> but I, I make that Gygaxian joke like almost every session when I when I open up the calendar. Like we need to keep our accurate calendar here, guys. Like, um, yeah, it's funny. Uh, but yeah, like when they're on the road, um, the scale is different because you actually play day to day, right? There's four quarters in a day. And so you, you play like each quarter. That's another thing. Um, I wound up having to make my own uh, little counter to keep track of the quarters of the day, especially if like we stopped somewhere um, and hadn't like ended on an evening. So I made this little... Um, I made this little spinner. I got all crafty. crafty. I made this little. I got. I made this little spinner. Beastie Boys um, crafty. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> you know, like you, you can change it. Like here's the day, right? So day into evening, right, and then night. Um, and I just like I like when we were playing, I just kept it on the table. When we play online, I just kind of keep it in front of me and just move it along. But, um, it you know like it has it has effects when they're traveling because there's only so much sunlight and there's penalties for traveling at night. So, you know, typically it's, you know, wake up in the morning, break camp, you know, ride for like two segments and then, um, you know, make camp uh, sleep through the evening. Cause sleep is how you get your hit points back. That's right. Yeah. There's a lot so, of emphasis on you don't sleep, you don't get hit points and you're tired the next day or, yeah, I had so my players came were coming home from a visit to their allies to the north, this dwarven enclave, and they screwed up two nights of sleep rolls, <laughs> and they were in like seriously bad shape when they got home. Like they had a couple of encounters and they couldn't heal from them except magically. Um, they were they were tired. 
um they were cold like they, they were a mess like never like they were like they were nervous about actually getting home like they were like we have got to get home tonight you know we can't have another um like we can't fail another camping check <laughs> you know or we're not gonna make it oh somebody asked where i got the arrow um I, I i bought it on i think i bought it on amazon like you can just buy spinner arrows like their game components yeah. and i just you know punched a hole in the center and snapped the little thing in there all right so we're on, we're a little over the hour are you still good phil yeah no i'm good I'm all good. right now um so kind of get things wrapping up some of the things that given the year of of time that you've run it are there any is there any what kind of advice would you give a game master Mm -hmm. that would start to run this game and what kind of advice would you give players? So it's a sure. overarching. Yeah. Yeah. So for the GM, like think small, like this is, this is not um, like, this is not like Lord of the Rings, Dragonlance fantasy, right? This is small, like in the dirt, mud on your boots, um, mud on your boots fantasy. So you can, your, your stories can be small. Um, you can do bigger things, but um, everything in this game is on the ground and don't ever hand wave travel, right? Like travel is like a travel is a feature, not a bug in this game. So like um, it's going to just take you a while. Like an adventure is long because <laughs> like, you have to go and get there and the adventure to get there is its own adventure. So um, lean in heavily on those things. Um, I would also say the one-on-one -on -one combat thing is like a later like, don't even try learning it in the beginning. Skip that whole section and just get the main combat system down, the group combat system. Um, and uh, and know that the their published material has their published material is like IKEA. Like mm -hmm. some assembly is required. Like you you can't just pick up the adventure and um, and just be like, cool, I'm going to run this. You really have to like kind of look at the adventure and decide. I'm going to put these pieces together and, and play through. Uh, and then after that, it's, um, you're just going to, you know, you're going to have to learn the couple subsystems, right? There's a, um, there's, you know, there's main task resolution, there's combat, there's magic, which is not terribly complicated, but requires a little bit of learning travel later. The stronghold has its own mechanics, uh, and crafting. Because you, you know, it's almost like Minecraft. Like you're on the, like honestly, you're on the road, and somebody breaks a sword. <laughs> like, if you can get to a town with a forge, you can fix it, right? Or you know, either pay someone or fix it yourself. If you, you know, you're a smith. Um, if your bow breaks, you can actually just fix that on the road, right? Like you can just take a, you know, quarter day and get some, you know, get some wood and actually carve out a bow and be back up and running. So there's those like little subsystems. Like you're gonna eventually learn them all. Um, but learn, learn the main system combat and travel first, the other ones you'll pick up along the way as a player, um, you are fragile, <laughs> like, like attack, all out attacks are not always your best friend, sneak attacks, knowing when to run. Um, I will say I have one grudge. I do not like their, um, their, their withdraw from combat is like almost every other one where there's like a. I think it allows you, you have to make a roll or you take a hit. I like that better than like, you know, you just take a hit, but withdrawing from combat is a thing. Um, like sometimes you just got to get out. Uh, and then use your experience points to buy the talents. Um, 
the raising your skills can be expensive. Talents are relatively cheap, and the um, the talents come like in a mixture of things. They're like feats, right? So like some of them are combat related. You should get some, and the other ones, which will not seem important when you look at them, there are ones about travel. So like there's one called Quartermaster, which improves your role to camping. Um, which you don't like, you're going to look at it first and be like, that seems dumb until you fail a camping role and no one sleeps and you can't heal. Right. So like, like, you know, we have like one character who's the quartermaster. We have one character who's the pathfinder, right? Like those camping things. We have one character who can cook somebody who can sew like those other skills wind up being way more important than you think they will be in the course of the game. Um, so you want to like kind of balance your investment. You, you know, like our dwarf is, you know, a nightmare with a ax in his hand and also a very competent blacksmith and uh, carpenter. And our thief is also a tailor. Right, very Garrick of him, but our thief is, you know, also a tailor, uh, because sometimes like the tent needs fixing while you're on the road because it the tent is equipment dice, and sometimes you push, and you rip the tent, and now you <laughs> like you need the tent. So those are like the tips for the players. You got to balance out those. Uh, you got to balance out those talents. Like you need to be as good at camping as you are at fighting. As strange as that sounds for for a role for a role playing game. Oh, that's all good stuff. When, uh, what about bookkeeping? There was a question about bookkeeping. Two bookkeeping? I don't think it's two bookkeeping. Like the calendar, the calendar is necessary more so when you have the stronghold. Like I didn't really have to lean on the calendar until I had to start worrying about like how much iron does this mine produce in a given amount of time. When you're on the road, you're living day to day. Um, and then you just kind of need to know the seasons because there are effects like there are daylight is a, is a uh, factor in the seasons so it's not huge um and you know the yeah the when you get to when you get up to stronghold like there is a separate google spreadsheet we have for the stronghold that keeps track of um all the resources it generates everybody that is in the place that you have to pay because you can't just run it you can't run it yourself and leave like if you don't hire a guard and you leave your stronghold, you'll come back and find someone else in it. Right. Um, so, it's easy. They built it for them. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you need to have like, you need to have like a guard or two. There's a handy person. Otherwise things break down. Like having a stronghold is like actually buying a house. Like it is a money sink. Like you suddenly go to advent adventuring becomes the thing you need to do to keep like your your stronghold in one piece again. So yeah, like I think you you graduate to a higher level of bookkeeping in this game when you get to when you get to the stronghold. Before that, it's I think I, I don't think it's I don't think it's uh, insurmountable. I I would recommend keeping a calendar though. Like that is you know, go back and read your Gary Gygax uh, game mastering book on the calendar chapter. Like you will it will benefit you greatly. For the spreadsheet for for the players, <laughs> do they keep that or do you or is it kind of a collaborative effort? I keep the calendar. Okay. Um, they keep the stronghold. So th there are sessions where literally I'm sitting there while they're deciding, like, should we build a moat or should we build a sheep pen? Right. And like, it, you know, like, I don't, those are the days I jot some other notes down and stuff, but like, they need to have those discussions. Like they need to, you know, do we, do we hire another guard? Like that kind of thing. That's good stuff. 
Yeah. Well, last questions out of the chat, and then we're going to let Phil go. Um, this sounds fantastic. I'm I'm interested in kicking this off. Session zero will be <clears throat> this coming Thursday for for me, February fourth, um, with a group of four players, and uh, mm-hmm. we it's a good sized party. Yeah, we haven't talked about whether they're going to do random or they're going to be. Did they do random for you? Did they do random character gen or did they? No, no, they they definitely wanted to pick their they they wanted to pick their stuff. They did, I think, roll the background stuff okay. random, but they were like, we would like to pick our kin and and class, and I was like, yeah, yeah that's fine, Lincoln. You know, yeah, there was a good um, podcast that I'm trying to absorb fast enough that had a pretty de- decent session zero three skulls tavern. I don't know they. That's the name of the uh, that's the name of the tavern in in the hollows. Oh, it is. I didn't even yeah. know that reference. Okay, yeah. Three Skulls Tavern. Interesting. So he a large part of my game. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's an interesting. I'm trying to absorb it all and determine. And I think there was some home. You know, he had some home house rules, like um, because of the fragility of the character starting out. I think he gave them a couple bumps in skills. Like you can put a point in three different. Three skills, three points in his oh, skills, yeah, yeah. but he lowered something else and and uh, to give him a little bit of an edge. But I I just want to make sure, um, yeah. Bookkeeping, murder hobo mention. We just covered that murder hobo. Um, anything else from the chat? Want to know from Phil before we let him go? So I'm, I am interested in in kicking it off. With a, uh, there's been one person I think that's played a couple, maybe two three sessions. I think Kerrigan might have kicked off. Everybody in the group has the game, so they've kind of oh yeah, that's a little good. bit yeah. Um, but it's a it's a different game than what I've I'm used to running. Yeah, it, it it's definitely different for me. Like I did not think like when I when I started playing, I was like, we'll just get like three, we'll get like six sessions out of this thing. It'll be great. I did not think we'd be heading into session forty. Um, nor do I run a lot of fantasy. Like I'm normally not the guy who runs a lot of fantasy, but like. Like, I don't know. There's just something about this game. Like, it's doing it. Like, my players love it. I'm enjoying it. Like, it's it's good. I would probably, even after this game, um, come back and homebrew uh, a setting for it. Like, I like these mechanics. Like, I think I would come back and homebrew a game. I just don't know how different it would be at this point, right? Like, the players have played through a good chunk of this, um, like, the rules. So, yeah. I uh, I I'm kind of on the fence with the... With the homebrew, I could see the appeal to it because then you don't have to reference any lore. You don't have to go, hey, is this right or is that wrong? And you could still do that regardless. Mm -hmm. But I feel compelled to go, oh, oh, yeah. Where if you're doing homebrew, I mean, it's whatever you come up with. Like, hey, yep, sure. Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's interesting. The um, that their setting is their setting is um was a little different for me. I'm used to just homebrew, you know, like I'm used to crafting all of the stuff myself. Um, but I've like, just, I've gotten good at like putting the pieces that I want together and just kind of throwing some other stuff out. And there are a couple places where, um, there are a couple places where I've caught a couple of like logical mistakes where I've had to like in mid game, like, Oh shit. Like, like that doesn't make sense. And like had to fix it on the fly. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it like it's good. Like there's enough. There's more than enough material in the game to play it for a while. Yeah. Now you mentioned enjoying it. Yes. Why do you enjoy it? What What's the selling piece of it? And the yeah, for me, what I really like about the game is like 
I really don't know what's going to happen. Like I am, um, <laughs> as I know your love of railroads. Um, <laughs> Somebody mentioned referencing, and, and, how am I going to adapt to it without the railroad? Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. I mean, I also many years ago was very much a, uh, I was a rail conductor myself. <laughs> I was, I was, um, I was a very skilled rail. Hey, conductor. Let's hear it for the rail union. Huh? Right? <laughs> I was a union man for a long time um, before I, I stopped, uh, before I just started off-roading my games. And um, what I really like about this game is like, I really don't know what's going to happen. Like there's enough random, like when they hit the road, like I know what's going to happen when they get to the adventure site, kind of, because I know it's at the adventure site. Although I have no idea how they're going to solve these problems. Um, because again, it's not, um, it's not a case where every problem is solved by um, fighting things so um i in fact i just had this happen the other day which which i i found immensely enjoying like they were trying to find this artifact and uh there's like this giant that is guarding the artifact and there are these like little um i don't even remember what they they're called whiners these little creatures and ultimately i don't want to because it's part of the game so i don't want to give too much away but they convinced the whiners to go steal it for him like they made a deal with the whiners instead of like having to face the giant. They were like, look, we'll like, we'll give you the thing you want. If you'll just go get us this thing. And the whiners were like, I, I mean, I haven't, I had them roll, but they were like, all right, like this, like, this is reasonable. Like, let's, so I, what, what I enjoy out of the game is I really don't know what's going to happen. Um, I don't know what's going to happen when they're on the road and it makes something mundane, like traveling dangerous, which is fun. Like that mishap, their like two nights of camping mishap was like a moment in the game where I was like, these guys could die, like on their way home from like a visit to their friends. Like <laughs> they might not make it home. Like they're in bad shape. And I was like, I was excited. Like when they finally reached home, I was like, oh man, that was like real touch and go. So that's what I really like out of the game is like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm as, a, I'm as surprised as they are half the time. Like when I, I, you know, roll a random table and I'm like, you stumble into a wedding. Like, <laughs> here we, like, here we go. Let's, you know, and we just get right into it. So th I, that's what I'm really enjoying out of it is um, that. And now I'm kind of digging how long the game's gone. Like there's a part of me that's also kind of digging like that um, they're becoming kind of entrenched in the world. Like they're then they're not only entrenched; they're becoming um, something important. They like have reputation. We didn't even talk about that. They do. They have reputation, which shows up a lot um, now. Like they constantly get referred to as the Lords of Waterstone, or, or yes, or Weatherstone, Lords of Weatherstone. Like when they arrive in places, and they they're like, yeah, yeah, like just kind of like on the DL guys. Like, but they're like, you know, your lordship, and they're like, <laughs> goes both ways. Yeah, well, it's going to be a problem for them because they're going to want to sneak into this town that the Rust Brothers are controlling. And it's going to be a lot harder when you have an eight reputation to sneak into anything. So to be uh, to be good. So, yeah, that's what I'm I, I, that's what I'm liking for the game. I did not expect to like this game as much as I like this game, which I, was cool. I was surprised to hear that you, uh, that you had been running it yeah. that long because we, we, we kind of spread the love around a little bit. Mm -hmm. So, oh, I, I I mean, I play tons of stuff. I, you know, I um I mean, I get I get antsy if I'm playing the same game for too long. But like, I even asked my players, I'm like, "You guys sure you still want to be playing this?" They're like, "No, no, man, like, don't do it. Like, just keep doing this." And I was like, "All right, I'm good too. Like, we can just keep doing this." That's fantastic. All right, well, let's wrap it up for Phil so he can 
can go back and play some more Forbidden Lands. Phil, I gotta go write show notes. Yeah, that's, oh, gotta, well, that's always fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Phil, it's where Tuesday. can people find more of Phil Vecchio? Yeah, so um, uh, you can find me on uh, Pandas Talking Games. That releases every Monday. Um, that's like a forty-five minute hour show. Um, where you know we just talk about gaming topics uh, fielded by our listeners. Like we don't actually write our own like we don't write our own ideas for that show. Very much whatever anybody wants us to talk about. Uh, and then you can find me Tuesday nights on Twitch live um, at eight o'clock Eastern uh, on Twitch on the Misdirected Mark Network. So you can see me on the Misdirected Mark show, um, or that show drops sometime. I think it's like tuesdays or wednesdays or something i don't even know when my show drops um but you can find it where you find your normal podcast including i think we finally conquered spotify like i think we finally it, it was not a lot it was not easy i think we finally got the shows up on spotify now uh so that's done i occasionally like once a month write an article for gnome stew and um i haven't done much during the pandemic but i do make games from time to time that's awesome well hey man thank you again always a pleasure yeah yeah i was happy to be here this was fun i don't normally get up early on a, on a saturday but this was worth getting up early for so I appreciate it i really appreciate it thanks phil so much this, this has been a litter box studio production, studio production.